Today's sermon text is from Mark chapter 9, verses 30 through 37. Mark chapter 9, verses 30 through 37. This is God's holy word. Let's pay attention to it. They went on from there and passed through Galilee, and they did not want anyone to know. For he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days he will, he will rise. But they did not understand the saying, and were afraid to ask him. And they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, What were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent, for on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. And he sat down and called the twelve, and he said to them, If anyone will be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And he took a child and put him in the midst of them, and taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. Uh, let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word to us, and help us see that. See our own sinfulness. See our own worldly thinking, and also help us to think like you, Lord. Be with us in the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. So our passage has a very familiar opening. It is a typical thing that occurs again and again in Mark. And almost every time after Jesus did a marvelous miracle, and we saw this opening, Jesus left the crowd immediately and intentionally kept himself from the public. This time, right after Jesus healed the demon-possessed boy, which we saw last time, they went on from there and passed through Galilee, and Jesus did not want anyone to know. We see a familiar opening occur here. This repeated information is intentional by Mark. The reason for Jesus to keep hidden is not that clear until Jesus taught his disciples about the necessity of his suffering and death. In the first eight chapters, Mark has presented to us a Jesus who has power, might, and authority in all his word and deed. Numerous miracles happened. Thousands of people got healed. Demons were cast out. And many crowds follow Jesus. So in the first eight chapters, what you see is a powerful Jesus. With all those exciting things Jesus did, we are confused by Jesus' intentional hiding from the public. We thought that Jesus should just embrace all the glory and success from his ministries because he deserves all of them. Because he's the son of God. He's the Messiah. 
until we hear Jesus teach, uh, until we hear Jesus teach that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and the scribes, be killed, and have three days rise again, that we finally understand Jesus' intentional hiding. It is for the fulfillment of that divine will that Jesus intentionally keeps himself from man. Jesus prays in John 12, verses 27 to 28. But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. The hour Jesus was talking about is his death on the cross which is the ultimate purpose and mission of the Messiah. So Jesus willingly gave up all the earthly glory, name, and fame for the will of the Father for that time. And Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So in other words, Jesus keeping himself from man is to keep himself from all the vain earthly glory, so that what is written about his suffering death could be fulfilled. This is the very reason that Jesus intentionally keeps himself from the public. And Jesus plainly tells his disciples in our passage, verse 31, Jesus said to them, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, have three days, he will rise. This is the second time that Jesus taught his disciples about his suffering, death, and resurrection. Yet his disciples still found it hard to digest. Verse 32 tells us the disciples did not understand the saying and were afraid to ask him. So Mark here reviews the inner activity of the disciples. They were afraid to ask Jesus. What is implied in this statement is that the disciples actually wanted to ask Jesus about his suffering death, and he wanted Jesus to explain them. But due to their fear, they finally gave up asking Jesus to tell them more. So it is very likely that the disciples know what kind of answers they will hear. And the answer must be something uncomfortable. Some commentaries agree that the disciples understand enough to be afraid to ask to understand more. What it means is that the disciples have no problem knowing the information about Christ's suffering and death as Jesus has been teaching that since Peter's confession of faith in Jesus. But the real problem of the disciples is that they are not willing to accept the fact that those evil things should happen to Jesus, their Messiah. Now, the disciples heard the same message again. It will be no doubt that the disciples would recall how they reacted last time when they first heard the message about Jesus' suffering death, such as how Peter rebuked Jesus. And how Jesus rebuked Peter, saying, get behind me, Satan. All sorts of things will be recalled when Jesus mentioned his suffering the second time. 
Therefore, the disciples knew what answers they would be given if they asked Jesus. But due to their fear of hearing that answer again, they remained silent about that. The disciples' reaction is a good example of man's total depravity. Even though the disciples have been told the truth twice, they are still resisting that truth and waiting to accept. Jesus rightly calls that generation a faithless generation, and which is true for all generations after the fall. That's why a truth-saving faith is a gift of God. When Jesus tells us the truth, he is calling us to believe in that truth. Although God's truth could make us uncomfortable sometimes. And we should never be afraid to hear that truth. But to be honest, the disciples' reaction is not uncommon. We find ourselves have the same fear. For instance, if we are hurt by others and do not want to forgive, we don't like the message about forgiveness. If we love the world and money, we don't like the message about not loving the world and money. So this is us, sinful, self-centered people. We always set our minds on the things of the world, not the things of God. We like to follow our own desires, not the will of God. We naturally think what is right in our own eyes, not in God's. And it is just impossible for sinners to understand the things of God if they are in that condition. So don't be surprised. It is not a surprise that the disciples do not understand the meaning of Christ's suffering and death because they just cannot fit Jesus' message into their own idea and thought about the Messiah. Their view of Messiah has nothing to do with suffering and death. Neither there should be any suffering for the followers of the Messiah. Jesus' message is just unbelievable to them. So here's a question. What are the disciples really thinking of following the Messiah? Let's see what the following message tells us about that. And they came to Capernaum. And when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you discussing on the way? You know, it's interesting that the disciples discussed something just among themselves without Jesus. It, not only that, but they also did not want Jesus to know what they were discussing. When Jesus asked them about the discussion, they kept silent. Their reaction indicates that this is something they do not feel proud to let Jesus know. It also shows that the disciples know that Jesus might not like it. This reveals a clear antithesis between Jesus and the disciples. That is, what pleases the disciples completely displeases Jesus. So what the disciples were doing here is rebellious and evil because they knew what they discussed will not please Jesus, yet they still did it. What is worse is when they were being asked, they did not give an answer. 
The disciples were silent till the end of our story. No answer was given. They literally rejected the opportunity to confess their foolishness to Jesus. And they were trying to hide their shame by keeping silent. And how foolish they are. What they are doing reminds us what we have seen in the Eden, right? Adam and Eve did the same thing. And it's right to call, to call them our first parents because we're just like them. But their silence does not keep Jesus from knowing their secret talk. Jesus shows them that he knows everything they discussed by his teaching. And he sat down, Jesus called the disciples to himself. Instead of being mad at their silence and hardness of heart, Jesus taught them, saying, if anyone will be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. This is a simple, plain, yet shocking message. It is totally different from what our world thinks, believes, and teaches. It is against our culture and our human nature. In other words, this teaching is anti antithetical to everything we know about being great and first. Jesus said this to his disciples specifically about about um, Jesus said this to his disciples because he knew that they were arguing with one another about who was the greatest. We don't know why the disciples decided to discuss that topic, nor do we know any details about the argument. But from the disciples' reaction to Jesus' question and the teaching Jesus gave, we can tell that their view of being great must be totally different from what Jesus just taught. Luke 22:26 gives us an insight about what the disciples were really thinking. Jesus says, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors. From Jesus' word, so we can see basically the disciples were talking about the kingdom of God in a way Gentiles think of their own kingdoms. They think of following the Messiah should lead them to something great, something successful, honor, glorious in this world, just like any other kingdoms. This thinking is a direct denial of what Jesus just taught about the suffering and death of the Messiah, as well as the suffering and death of those who follow the Messiah. That's why they did not want Jesus to hear that. Because what they are talking is a denial to Jesus' teaching. So Jesus' teaching here reveals how God thinks of man as great. And you can see how different it contrasts to the thinking, to the thoughts of the disciples. In God's eyes, the great are not those who are served and honored but are those who humble themselves enough to be the last and servants of all. 
Jesus says here, if anyone will be first, must be last of all and servant of all. Jesus further explains this truth by taking a child to him. Jesus put him in the midst of them. He said to the disciples, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. In Jesus' time, children are unimportant. They are unequally, unfairly treated by the society. They are the last ones people pay attention to. In some stories, children are prevented from coming to Jesus. And some who bring children to Jesus are even rebuked. Matthew 19, 13. And we see that. So, no one sees any value or worthiness in serving children. But Jesus says, whoever receives a child in his name receives him. And who receives him receives the father. So Jesus here identifies a child who belongs to him as his representative. The child has been given such a glory just because he belongs to Jesus. And God sees the child valuable and precious. So what Jesus teaches here is that anyone who belongs to Jesus, no matter what their social uh, identity or status quo is, they are precious in Christ. Although they may not be precious in man's eyes, they may not be thought as great, but they are great in Christ's eyes. What makes everything different is not the person himself, but Jesus Christ. Jesus himself is a perfect example of his teaching here. Jesus being the Son of God is no doubt the greatest man in the world. Yet he became last and servant, servant of all. He was despised, rejected, and humiliated by people from young to old. But he said, I came to serve, not to be served. Jesus served those who are unworthy, despised, weak, and little. And Jesus even laid down his life for those unworthy sinners so that they could be received into the Father's house and be called the children of God. And Jesus did all of this in service to his people for our benefit, who we are, that the Son of God should die for us. And you and I, you know, are one of them. And Jesus did that for us. So dear brothers and sisters, what we see here is that gospel of Jesus just changes everything in us. It changes our identity. It changes how we think of ourselves, how we see ourselves in Jesus Christ. And we are made alive in Christ and become a new creation in Christ so that we can love what God loves, hate what God hates, and think God's thought after him. And this is the power of the gospel that is in us. 
praise God for what he's done. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your grace, for your service to us, unworthy sinners. Because you become servant so that we would that so that we could be served. So that we could get the benefit of your service. From your service. We thank you, Lord, because of what you have done. We are now be called children of God. Because of what you have done, we are called saints. We are called your people. Lord, we belong to you. You belong to us. So help us, Lord. Think our thoughts. Think God's thoughts after him. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen.